With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, there's news out of Barcelona that a top star could be on the way out with PSG a possible destination. Everton target one of the hottest striking talents in Europe and why Jadon Sancho is fast becoming to Pep Guardiola what Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne are to Jose Mourinho. Okay, well, we're going to start off as usual with a little bit of transfer news and Ian has some from Paris that will affect Barcelona fans and probably interest those with a those of a Liverpool persuasion too. Indeed, Johnny. Um, we've known for some time, obviously, that Philip Coutinho's move to Barcelona has not gone as well as either he would have hoped nor, indeed, other people have expected. Um, my information is that Barcelona are definitely open to selling the player. Uh, they've been quite open about that and uh, also that a meeting took place in the last seven days uh, between uh, Coutinho's representatives and Paris Saint-Germain with uh, a proposed move in the summer. Now, this can be read one of two ways, um, because obviously it impacts on Neymar. We know that Neymar and Coutinho are very good friends. Uh, I think they're uh, close and when they get together with the Celestial and the Brazil squad. But um, it could well be a ditch, a sort of last ditch attempt by PSG to persuade Neymar that his future remains in Paris by signing one of his close friends and obviously taking some of the pressure off of him with regards to what happens on the field as well with Coutinho being obviously a very skillful attacking midfielder um, or indeed it could be uh, a sign that Paris Saint-Germain are beginning to see the end of Neymar uh, in Paris and by signing Coutinho they sign not a direct replacement obviously but someone who can probably fill the void that Neymar would leave um, should he indeed agitate and get his move to Real Madrid that obviously we've discussed extensively on the podcast in the last few weeks. Um, the fee, I'm told, that Barcelona are looking for is not uh, the same as the one they paid Liverpool uh, some more than 18 months ago. Um, they would accept around €90 million Euros for the player, accepting the loss but getting his salary, obviously, off of the wage bill at Camp Nou. Um, and um, I think it'll be very interesting um, to see where Coutinho ends up. Uh, I, for those uh, Liverpool fans uh, who listen to us, I'm pretty certain that um, Liverpool's not an option, um, both financially and uh, I think that Jurgen Klopp believes that he's got a more balanced side now than he had with Coutinho in it. And, and that was one of the reasons why he, he was allowed to go as well, despite the fact, of course, the player agitated for the move. So um, it will be very interesting to see um, how that impacts on Neymar. And also, Duncan, I think we might even see some other players leave PSG in the summer as well in terms of um, 
uh, incoming. Well, look, I think it's absolutely correct. Coutinho is up for sale. Um, Barcelona are overloaded on their wage bill. Um, and as we know, they've, they've already got a deal in place to bring Frankie de Jong um, to camp now in the summer. Um, they're trying to add Matthias de Ligt to that, which would be another um, deal, well, the, the 75 million euros uh, plus for um, de Jong. They're looking at the same area, perhaps even more. Uh, Ajax would like 100 million for de Ligt to sign him. Um, there are other areas of the team that Barcelona want, um, for example, a, uh, a new centre forward um, to uh, either replace immediately or, or in the long term, uh, or the medium to long term, Luis Suarez. So they've got um, big ambitions in the market for upgrading a squad, which is a present favourites to win the Champions League and should win the Spanish title. But they have to get players off their wage bill, and Coutinho is one of the 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 players that they will sacrifice if they can hook in a club like Paris Saint-Germain or one of the big English Premier League clubs to take on what are very significant wages and uh, pay back the majority of what they paid to Liverpool to, to sign them. Um, and it's kind of interesting about Barcelona in that they've, they've actually, um, they see themselves as a club Coutinho obviously wasn't designed this way. Coutinho, they wanted to have long term. It just hasn't worked out for them. But they bought a lot of players, um, like sort of middle tier players such as Malcolm, um, who haven't uh, nailed down a place in the Barcelona side. Um, Yeri Mina was another example of this, a player that they bought with a, who they, they saw as regarding of a lot of talent might work for Barcelona, but if they didn't work for Barcelona, they could sell them on at a profit. So they've also got Malcolm on the market um, this summer. Um, and, I, and again, I would see him as being a player that would appeal greatly to a number of the Premier League clubs. Um, Manchester United obviously looked at him uh, before he moved to Barcelona, Arsenal have been very keen on him. I believe Tottenham Hotspur have an interest in him too, although I'm not sure he fits into um, the recruitment policy Tottenham have uh, going into next season. Um, so, yeah, there could be a lot of movement from Barcelona. It's interesting the way they've set themselves up. As, as it's, a, it's a different kind of stockpile of stockpiling of players, but they're doing that Manchester City-Chelsea thing of, of buying players in, with the view that having them um, as part of their club for a season or a couple of seasons can, can increase their value and allow them to make profits in the transfer market that will subsidise the purchase of the of the kind of superstar names they need um, to keep themselves at the top of the, of the Spanish League and in the Champions League. Ian, there's essentially going to be comings and goings at PSG. Who, who do you see leaving the club? Well, we know that Adrian Rabiot, um, who we spoke about his mother uh, and her wonderful quotes about her son being held a prisoner um, last week, um, will definitely leave on a free freedom uh, of contract in the summer. The interesting thing um, is that in their 2017-2018 accounts, Paris Saint-Germain actually made a £40 million profit, which, you know, given the FFP um, worries that Paris Saint-Germain we assume they have, given the recruitment of Neymar and the incredible wages he's on. You would have thought that they'd been struggling to actually uh, fulfil their FFP obligations. So, I mean, there doesn't need to be a wholesale kind of you know exodus of players in order to 
um, either buy Coutinho or or indeed pay him and play him. Um, but what will be interesting, I think, for Premier League clubs is that Duncan mentioned stockpiling of players. Well, no club's quite stockpiled quite as high as PSG in the last two to three years. And so I could see um, maybe four, three or four departures in the same way that we saw players like Serge Aurier, uh, Lucas Moura joined Tottenham, um, and uh, obviously Blaise Matuidi went to Juventus and has, has, has prospered there. So um, I think you'll see that the, there will be interest from the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham, in some players at PSG. Uh, I guess one of the things that they have to consider, of course, is the high wages that PSG pay. So they're coming in already on a high level. Um, Rabiot in particular is only 23, um, but will be able to command you know, in excess of 12 to 15 million uh, a season because there is no transfer fee involved. So that would be one of the sticking points um, for any player being recruited from Paris. However, as I say, they do have a lot of talent on their um, in their squad and will, you know, other than uh, continue, would expect them to recruit as well, so it, I think there's going to be that kind of merry-go-round effect, where um, one transfer will trigger another. Just to go back quickly to Barcelona, um, the way Duncan uh, was was chatting there, it's interesting that they're now doing their their business in almost a Liverpool-esque way, signing players uh, ahead of you know the actual transfer window they'll move in. In this case, obviously Frenkie de Jong. Uh, it looks increasingly like De Ligt will go as well. And in doing so, avoiding the, the massive overinflation. Because even though you'd say that you know, 75 million euros is a lot for a player of that age coming from Ajax, etc., etc., it's not really where you consider what people are paying in fees for, for lesser talents and for older players as well. Um, so it's, as I said, with, with uh, Real Madrid expected obviously to spend in excess of 300 million euros this summer, then Barcelona, even as champions of Spain, even possible Champions League winners this season will have to compete with Real in terms of recruitment as well. Not probably to the, the full extent of that cash sum, but certainly in terms of the talent that they, they recruit. And um, what we'll see is that Real Madrid will probably pay excessive amounts and, and inflated fees, whereas Barcelona, as I said, are being quite cute about this. And, uh, and of course, everyone goes back to the you know, the Virgil van Dijk, you know, worth every penny of his, his transfer fee when everyone was a bit surprised by it. Uh, it looks to me like Barcelona are some copycat. Listeners might be worrying that uh, Ian's at death's door, but uh, don't worry, guys, because he's simply, as a million people were marching um, in favour of a people's vote, he was uh, running through fields of wheat in solidarity with our beleaguered Prime Minister. <laughs> Simples. <laughs> Just on, on Paris Saint-Germain and FFP, although they've uh, they declared the profit for the last season, um, the, the, the FFP calculations over a rolling three-year basis. So they've still got the issue of Neymar um, and Mbappe's uh, transfer to solve. Um, they managed to get CAST to set aside um, UEFA's attempt to reinvestigate uh, last year's um, FFP calculation, so um, the, that judgment on last year has been set aside, but over the, the, there'll be another um, assessment, including those transfers, um, to be worked on this season, which could be, which will be a factor in the in the calculations PSG are making in the transfer market. And I know they've done several things, including 
um, signing players uh, for other clubs that are Qatar controlled um, with the intention of moving them to PSG in the future for cheaper prices. Um, should also be noted that they, they um, secured a, uh, a new principal sponsor recently to um, great fanfare, um, the Accor Hotel Group. Um, and an interesting little thing about the Accor Hotel Group, which is worth paying attention to, is that the, the second biggest shareholder um, of Accor is Qatar uh, Holdings, so owned by the Qatari state, 10%. So um, maybe you will be... I don't think any of our listeners would ever have thought that would be the case. Uh, just maybe something UF will be paying attention to, given the way that uh, Abu Dhabi um, yeah. uh, have funded... Uh, Manchester City in the past through companies owned or part owned by the, themselves. Well, not, not only that, Duncan, City Football Group do exactly the same thing with regards to um, recruiting young players to other clubs that they own. And in fact, City recently became the, f- well, City Football Group recently became the first uh, overarching football uh, group to own a club on every continent. So um, I think that's only going to become bigger in terms of you know the questions being asked about ownership and of course the fact that um, CFG actually hold the central contracts of its players so the players are registered with City Football Group um, who obviously are the ownership group of all of those clubs so again I think there's going to be even more questions asked in terms of the way that things are, are, are being run uh, and you said like the, the Qatari owners of PSG as well Well, more news now, and we go to Merseyside this time for some Everton transfer talk. Duncan, what's happening? Yeah, well, it's, I don't think it's uh, it's any secret that Everton um, need to improve in attack, um, and they're looking at, uh, at attacking striker recruits for the coming season. One of the players they've identified as a potential signing for this summer um, is uh, Rafael Leon, um, the Portuguese um, teenage centre forward at um, Lille, who's had um, a strong first season in the French league, scoring seven in uh, 19 league appearances, a couple of assists, um, been used off the bench a lot. So his, his goal per minute ratio is actually an impressive goal every 161 minutes. Um, it was a player that attracted a lot of attention across Europe last summer. Manchester City were uh, keen on him before Leo managed to convince him to come there on um, uh, training compensation only uh, transfer um, on the basis that he would have more opportunity to play and develop himself and that the club, Leo, wouldn't stand in his way when a, once a, a bigger European side came in and offered the right money. That's, you know, Leo's. Uh, operating strategy is to sign good young talents, put them on um, the, a stage uh, and then have bigger clubs uh, pay them uh, for the development time and, and allow them to move on. And um, what, I, what I'm told is that Everton have been in touch with um, Leon's representatives, explained their interest and uh, that they see him developing in this way and that potentially they would look to do a deal even as early as this summer um, if the if the finance is right for them. Um, I don't know what Leo value at at this stage, but I would, I would expect it to be a very significant amount um, given the way he's progressed in the first year and given the clubs have been interested in him um, up until this stage. 
and also as well, <clears throat> I must you know, just be clear with the listeners, I've got a bad, very bad hay fever. It was what That was uh, Jody's reference before. Uh, that's why I'm sounding like this. But, um, so position I think that was slightly inscrutable. <laughs> you were certainly trying. Um, so, um, yeah, but Everton really need to recruit in, in centre-forward position. It's, it's, it's a real problem for them, goals. Um, St. Tosin, who they signed for, I think, just over £20 million, has not worked out. Um, we've only seen it in flashes, the, what he, the kind of form he showed in Turkey. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, a homegrown player, academy player from, through the ranks at Everton, uh, doesn't look to me like he's uh, an out-and-out number nine striker. And again, it's something which um, they, they are struggling with. So whether or not a 19-year-old is the answer, um, I don't know. What I will say is that Neil have got a very good re- recent record of doing exactly what Duncan described, and that is getting young players for relatively very, very low fees and selling them on for a lot of money. Um, I think they were second most profitable club in France uh, over the last couple of years, uh, and it was purely from player sales in, in that situation. So um, I think as ever um, has been the case, going right back to the uh, Wenger's first uh, sort of couple of titles at Arsenal, France has, remains a very, very fertile uh, sort of ground for Premier League clubs to pick up young players from. I think it's a good development ground for young players. I think, um, I mean, the, the the guy who's in charge of recruitment at Lille is um, Luis Campos, who was the man who was in charge of recruitment of Monaco when they they created that um, league and winning side, the only side to stop Qatar from winning um, the the French title. Um, and it was exactly the same model they were applying there. And I, I think it, it's because you can bring these players to a technical and and very competitive league like France. And, and give them that development time, um, and it you know scouts watching them see them playing high level football, not just in France, Champions League, Europa League, um, see what they're capable of, and the pricing's realistic in most cases. They're not cheap to buy from there, but realistic. Uh, the wages they're on are considerably less, um, you know, fractions of what they can make in the Premier League. So that that makes it straightforward from a recruitment perspective of being able to offer double or treble wages to the player. Um, the clubs want to sell. Uh, obviously, Monaco's um, model was even stronger in the, the sense that they could play t- pay tax-free wages in Monaco so they, they could get um, better talents in there uh, and be able to pay them more than other competitors in France. But the, the general principle of using the French League as, as a showcase um, in an economic model where you, you pick up um, talented players from across Europe and overseas, you know, so, so South Americans quite often, Africans all, also used, sometimes uh, Asian players, um, and, and use that as the, you know, the breeding ground to get them to the, the, the wealthiest leagues in Europe um, has been a successful one. And I think it will continue to be a successful one. An interesting thing, of course, is whether... Luis Campos will remain at Lille um, because there is, you know, significant interest in him from Premier League clubs. You've got uh, Chelsea still without a director of football who who have had direct conversations with Campos in the past. You've got Arsenal um, looking for a new director of football. Manchester United have said they want a director of football, but haven't actually got anyone in place as they go into a pivotal season. So there there are a few um, posts open at the moment at, at the biggest of clubs in England and um, and he's 
certainly a, a strong candidate to be hired by one of them this summer. Luis Campos, this is the man we should all remember, whose Monaco team that he put together were sold for 306 million euros in that summer of sales uh, after they won the title. So if you've got that on your CV, you surely you wouldn't be looking for work for long, especially if you want to come work in the Premier League. And, um, not, not even the team, just a, just a fraction. That was, just, sorry, that was, that was that. five players, I think it was, Duncan, or maybe, maybe six at most. I think, I think five, and they, they'd, all, they'd already had the first window in which over 200 million had been raised in transfer fees ahead of that season. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't just one window, it was successive windows of, of incredible sales. One of the most consistent criticisms of uh, Jose Mourinho in his second spell at Chelsea was his failure to promote future star names Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah into the first team. Well, it looks like Pep Guardiola now has a case of his own with Jadon Sancho performing so terrifically well in Dortmund and becoming a mainstay, it looks like, for England. Duncan, is this going to be an issue for uh, Pep Guardiola going forward? People are going to criticise his decision to let this young star go? It'll be interesting to see if they do, um, because it's, it's a, I think there are huge parallels between the, the two situations. Um, and Jadon Sancho, if he gets that move to England, which Borussia Dortmund are targeting... I mean, they say they don't want it for this summer, but he's clearly in their in their transfer strategy. They intend to they bought the player, intending to sell him back to England once its value had increased. And I think if um, I if someone offers the over 100 million plus euro fee this summer, it will be hard for Dortmund to to stick to that that stated aim that they're going to keep him for one more season before selling. But once Sancho comes to England. And as long as he keeps performing at the level he's been, been performing or, or reaches higher heights, and if, especially if he's playing for the English national team and playing well, then he's going to be a major point of attention for the English press. And then you would suspect that, um, that, that uh, the argument that, that's um, waged against Mourinho um, about De Bruyne should be applied to Sancho as well, because the circumstances are similar. You have a a young player in your um, squad who uh, has subsequently shown himself to have the potential to be one of the top players um, in the division. Um, and you didn't promote him at the time and he ended up leaving to go elsewhere um, of his own volition. So Mo Salah, um, Kevin De Bruyne, Jaden Sancho, all three of them uh, forced their moves out of their respective clubs because they felt they were ready to play. Um, they felt they weren't going to get the opportunities at the clubs they were at and they needed to go elsewhere to develop. Um, De Bruyne, Salah were proved right. Sancho so far has been proved right. So you'd say the, the equivalence is there. Therefore, the same questions should be asked about Guardiola. Why did he block Sancho's path to progress? You can also run the argument the other way, which is um, there are very good reasons why uh, Mourinho didn't play Salah and De Bruyne at the time. De Bruyne in particular, there was a surfeit of, of top quality proven internationals uh, in Chelsea's squad at the time who were picked ahead of him after De Bruyne was given chances to play. De Bruyne himself uh, recognised that he wasn't at a stage where he could get in ahead of players like Willian and Oscar uh, Wamata. Um, and, and therefore asked for the move. And I, I think 
Guardiola's reasoning was the same. Uh, Those wing positions at Manchester City have been the strongest positions in his squad throughout his time there. He continually recruits in those areas. He actually had Manchester City recruit Raheem Sterling for one of those positions before he even arrived at the club. Um, At present, he's got Sterling, um, Bernardo Silva, uh, Leroy Sané, um, Riyad Mahrez, who's the the record signing um, at the club, all playing in those areas. So you'd have to say, where where would Jadon Sancho play? And why should Guardiola promote uh, a youngster who's still developing uh, for all the talent he's got when Guardiola's required by his owners to win the Premier League now, to win the Champions League now. The owners aren't interested um, primarily in the development of young players. Yes, it's a good thing if they can do that. Yes, they've spent huge amounts on, on an academy system uh, to gather up some of the best young players in England. That's one of the reasons Sancho was at City, because City paid so much money to get him there to his family and to his agents and promise of future contracts. Same with someone like Brian Diaz. Um, but ultimately, what do Abu Dhabi want? They want to win the Premier League now. They want to win the, the, the Champions League now. Um, if the academy players come through and do well for the team, great. If they can sell those academy players um, to help their FFP uh, books look better, great. That's part of the strategy too. So I think Guardiola was only doing what you'd expect him to do as a manager under the pressures he had, which is saying, these are the players available to me now. These players are better than Jadon Sancho and they will deliver um, when I need them to deliver and I need to be sure of their performances. Therefore, I'm going to pick them. And if uh, Sancho's demand uh, to stay and sign a new contract at City is that he has guaranteed first-team time, I can't give him that. So we're just going to have to sacrifice this one. The other... um aspect of this of course is that um, Manchester United are one of the clubs who are showing interest in Jadon Sancho Uh, so you can imagine should he sign for Manchester United um, and then come back to play in England from next season and obviously takes City apart in a a Manchester derby how bad that's going to look that will be the thorn in Pep's side that's for sure Um, I have to say I've I've not watched enough of Jadon Sancho playing for Borussia Dortmund to make a a very considered um, opinion on his potential. Uh, I've seen him play some games for, for Dortmund, I've seen him play for England. I think it's a little bit the Wilf Zaha about him. In fact, I'd say Zaha at this moment in time is probably a more accomplished player than, than Sancho is. Sancho is obviously younger and got the kind of potential and talent which Zaha showed at that age and got him a move to Manchester United, which, as we know, was dreadful and didn't work out. But I don't see why Sancho should be a £70 million, £80 million player um, when Zaha uh, is, would be, I don't know, valid under 50 probably um, if he were to move. And I'd say, I'd say he's more accomplished, he's achieved more in terms of his Premier League career. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one. With, with You've got a similar situation with Callum Hudson-Odoi at Chelsea, obviously, and he wants to leave Chelsea for playing time. It's not a financial dis- discussion. Obviously, his contract will improve if he goes to Bayern Munich or anywhere else in Germany, but he wants to play. Um, and, of course, uh, he will make his England dead. Or make it, he's probably going to start for England um, against uh, Montenegro. So, again, his value rockets because he suddenly becomes an England international as well. 
Um, and as I said, it's it's inflation. It's not. I, I don't see it as being value. I think it's inflated simply because these are young English players with skill and talent to excite. But I think at this moment in time, only potential, not not proven uh, ability um, to to compete at the highest level. But such are the finances uh, in the Premier League, not just at the top when Manchester City competing for the title, but at the bottom as well to stay in the Premier League. That managers will always trust their senior players tried and tested above you know, young promise and potential. That's just a, you know, a financial and a football fact of life of playing in the England Prem- English Premier League. Duncan, why didn't City take the option to loan out this talented young player? Surely that would have been the best of both worlds and given them the opportunity to bring him back should he make a massive impact, as he has done. I, th- I think they would have loved to have loaned him out, but he had one year left on his contract um, he'd made it clear he was going to leave under freedom of contract um, if they didn't sell him to Dortmund that summer. So they, it, loaning him out wasn't an option because they were going to lose him regardless. Um, so, yeah, it, it just that it wasn't a factor for them. I think looking at the way Sancho plays, there's, there's probably an important element here. I think the comparison with Zaha is a, a, a good one in that it's his unpredictability um, and the, the kind of the ability to do something completely unexpected to beat an, impo- an opponent um, and unconventional, which has made him the player he is and it has drawn the attention of Dortmund and, and I think allowed him to deliver the goals and assists he has done so quickly in his career because he catches defenders by surprise. And that's that is a major ability to have. There's no question about it. Um, you, as a coach, you would be saying, can I add um, consistency to that without taking away the unpredictability? Can I get him to make those um, maverick decisions at exactly the right time so they benefit the team? That would be your question. But I think if you think of him as that type of player and you look at the way Guardiola builds his attack, which is extremely structured. He wants players in specific positions at specific times, passing the ball into definite areas to break down the opponent's defence. Does someone like Sancho fit into that system? Not really. So, again, you can understand why Guardiola is saying, yeah, I see the boy's talent, but how do I get him to work in the the, the, uh, very delicately and intricately training ground structured attack that I've built, which is the centre point of my team, uh, which I think is going to be the way I'll, I'll win the Champions League um, for the Abu Dhabi owners. So, so then the analysis becomes even harder for Guardiola in terms of giving him, giving him a place in the team. However, one thing I would say is that he signed Riyad Mahrez. I asked for Riyad Mahrez and he put him in the team um, as a as a first choice, and I don't think that was the greatest transfer that Pep Guardiola has ever done. I don't think it was the greatest transfer Manchester City has ever done. I think if Manchester City miss out on the title this season, it'll probably be because Riyad Mahrez de- demanded to take that penalty at Anfield uh, when Manchester City were on top and when they could have won the game 1-0. Um, I think if they had won that game 1-0, we wouldn't have the title race we have now. So and I, I just think they made, he made a bad mistake there. Um, whether that means he could have said, forget Mares, put Sancho in the first team instead, I'm not sure about that. But 
uh, I think the the question marks over the decision about Sanchez will be increased because of the player he elected to spend money on instead. Um, I think you've um, probably put two things together, Duncan, which we would describe in philosophy as mutually exclusive categories in the consistent unpredictability of Jason Sancho. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's entirely correct. Um, the only time in his coaching career when Guardiola allowed any player to risk possession was Leo Messi. And clearly there's a special case for allowing Leo Messi to dribble the ball because usually he, he keeps it. But he does not encourage anyone to put the ball at risk. That's part of the pet philosophy. You always keep the ball. You've got to take the ball, pass the ball. You've got to put the ball into space where your next uh, teammate is going to be arriving. And then, you, you, as Duncan said, it's very delicate, it's intricate. It's also very, very structured. And so you can't put a maverick into that system because everyone else breaks down or the, the structure breaks down and the system breaks down. Um, as for consistent unpredictability, for some of the uh, older generation out there, I give you Ted McMinn. <laughs> The Tin Man. It's time now for our usual section on a Monday where we look at the heroes and villains of the last few days. Ian, you're going to go first, and who is your hero? Well, let me just say first, uh, Johnny, that I'm sure all our listeners are, are in agreement with us that um, when international football's on, most football fans turn off. Um, so, you know, the transfer window's been bringing you transfer news and clubs Uh and real football, and we can say that denial is not just a big river in Africa as a result. Um, <laughs> Particularly for Scottish. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> absolutely. But my hero is not Scottish, funnily enough. It is the Arsenal reject Serge Gnabry, who, uh, in playing uh, his international football for Germany, um, I think everyone will have seen, uh, I hope, and if not, please uh, uh, Google it or use another search engines that are available. And... Uh, just look at the way he takes Virgil van Dijk. First, he takes him outside on his left uh, to the box, cuts inside. Now, I don't actually think van Dijk did very much wrong in terms of your defender's handbook because he, he did try to take him outside. Gnabry's got that little explosive burst of pace. He comes inside him. He looks up and then he absolutely drills the ball, just bends it into the very top corner where it cannot be saved. Um, so for me, uh, a man who you know was kicked out of Arsenal, some kind of dud, when other duds are still there, uh, it's, you know, he just showed his worth. Duncan, who's your villain? Uh, my villain is, uh, I think, uh, a regular villain in English football. That's uh, Harry Redknapp. Who, He's the um, king of the jungle. Aye, he knows, the, he, knows the, he knows the rules of the jungle too. He's a nation's <laughs> sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> I know you fancy him, Ian, but it's just, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, so Harry, of course, had nothing whatsoever to do with Birmingham City, uh, receiving a nine-point penalty uh, points deduction in the championship for breaking financial fair play rules. Um, the fact that their, uh, their wage bill had gone to, uh, I think, 200% of revenue um, as a result of a number of... Um, uh, expensive in terms of transfer fee and expensive in terms of wages signings that were made under Redknapp's um, management of the club had nothing to do with them. Just as um, Portsmouth going out of business um, and having to be resurrected in the lower divisions um, after he'd uh, spent more uh, than the, 
been in charge of spending at the club when they'd spent more than ever in their history had nothing to do with him. Um, and uh, just as any kind of uh, financial issues that a number of his clubs have suffered uh, following his reign had nothing to do with them. It's all coincidental. Never, never Harry's fault. Always someone else's responsibility when they uh, sign the players he asked them to sign on the wages he asked asked them asked for them to be signed on. You always remember that Marco Buger signing as being the quintessential Harry moment. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, a man whose name launched a thousand headlines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to call it a day now for the Transfer Window podcast, but rest assured we will be back on Wednesday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane and Ian is at Garpo SJ, while Duncan is at the more simple at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this really, really helps us reach as many listeners as we can. Until Wednesday, thanks for listening.